jump in today. Let's just dive into the session. Um, we're in session four. So I should probably open up to the right session. Um, it's a little longer session, but it's an easier session. It's not as weighty as the last two sessions. So if you guys remember, we did the importance of membership and the local church in the first session. And in the last two sessions, we talked about seven distinctives of sound race churches. It's kind of what sets us apart, some unique uh, not really just unique to us, but just distinctives to us um, theologically that inform a lot of what we do here with our preaching, counseling, and um, affects a lot of areas of our life. So uh, if you missed last week, I think the recording was kind of crappy. I think it got cut out halfway yeah, through. So. Steve said that um, there wasn't anything, so I, I couldn't find anything. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> just kind of look over the notes and, and you know when you guys talk to a pastor at the end of this we can, we can go over questions and things like that but uh, session four we're going to talk about our mission so I'm on page 30 uh, what are the convictions that inform our mission together so um, we are here because of a mission that God has that God is on God is on a mission to save a people for himself, and he has sent us on mission, and that is the purpose of why this church exists, in, in as simplest terms as possible. Uh, so our, our mission statement, which is something you can read when you walk into our church on, in, in the lobby area, it says this, we exist to glorify God by maturing and multiplying disciples who enjoy, declare, and display the good news of Jesus Christ for the joy of all people. So that is why we exist. It's kind of what we try to keep front and center um, uh, for us as a church um, that informs everything that we do here. So if something that we do as a church doesn't really fit in that, um, we aren't really going to prioritize that. But this is our main priority uh, as a church. Uh, not because we've created that priority, because that is Jesus' priority for the church. Um, but, uh, yeah, so our uh, mission statement is colluge from other churches' mission statements, you know, just because everyone's kind of going off of the Great Commission in some sense. And, um, but we're, there are particular emphasis that we're trying to draw out. Um, but the mission really is about maturing and multiplying disciples. That is what Jesus said in the Great Commission, to go into all the world, proclaim the good news, um, teach them to obey all that I have commanded you, right? So um, there's a maturing and multiplying of disciples that is part of what Jesus is doing, and we get to join him in that. So I just kind of broke this down into just different phrases here so we can kind of think through them briefly. We exist to glorify God. All that we do, obviously, uh, is to glorify God uh, as Christians, but specifically in the church, uh, we're glorifying God by maturing and multiplying disciples. That's the chief task that's been given to us. But what does it mean to mature and multiply disciples? What kind of disciples do we want to make? We want to make disciples that are enjoying, declaring, and displaying something. Um, and that is the good news of Jesus Christ. Everything centers on the gospel of Jesus Christ, as we talked about. Um, that's one of our distinctives. Um, so we want to enjoy, we want to delight, and we want to um, treasure Jesus, who is the good news of the gospel. We want to proclaim him. We want to proclaim him to one another, and we want to proclaim him to others in our lives who don't know him. 
gospel, and we also want to display. We want to live in light of the gospel, so that our words and actions um, are worthy of the gospel of Christ. So, so we want to enjoy, declare, and display. So, um, we want to do this for the joy of all peoples, and that's not just some kind of random thing thrown out at the end. That is very central to God's purposes in the world. So, we want it to be central in our mission statement as well. Um, the church. Um, ought to be a community for people from every age, ethnicity, socioeconomic sphere, any background. It, it, you know, there's nothing that keeps um, anyone from joining this church um, other than <laughs> trusting in Christ. You know, um, so Christians from any background, any experience, any sphere. Um, you know, we want them to come and mature. You know, mature and multiply uh, and help multiply. Uh, disciples. So that's what we are doing. Um, um, there are some. This next section here, it's going to look kind of familiar to you guys if we, if you've been here on Wednesday nights for our midweek gathering. Um, it's literally taken out of our membership class because for, for the the content for Wednesday nights, there are particular convictions that inform how we think about discipleship. I think discipleship is a term that is kind of thrown around very loosely, and every, everyone means something very different from it, even in our church. Like, before we went through the exercise of putting these things down on paper, you, you just hear kind of people saying things like, well, uh, who are you discipling? Or, I'm not being discipled. Or, I don't know, just little things like this. And I was like, I, I think I know what you're saying, but I don't know what you're saying because there's an assumption here about what you think discipleship is, right? Um, so we kind of kind of went ground up and we were like, let's think about, you know, why are we making disciples? What is a disciple? How are disciples made? Who makes disciples? You know, you know let's just think through that uh, for the culture of our church. And Who we, is a disciple? Yeah. Did you ask that? Who is a disciple? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, that is literally one of the questions. Um, so there's five convictions that we walk through that kind of answer those questions, the why, what, who uh, of discipleship. And we didn't come up with this on our own, um, so we're not just amazingly smart people that do things like that. Um, pretty much everything I say, I like copy from other people. So same with this. Uh, <laughs> Was that? Yeah, I was like, did a. <laughs> you, you have 2,000 years of time. It's like, there's nothing new under the sun. It's right. Just... It's like all the original ideas have been taken. So yeah. God. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, this is from a book called The Trellis and the Vine. Um, and that is a book, the basic, con and if you're coming Wednesday nights, you're going to pick up on this over the next quarter. We're, we're basically talking about The Trellis and the Vine. But the basic concept is this, uh, discipleship kind of works on these um, two parallel planes, the trellis, which is the structures of the church uh, that are necessary, and the vine, which is um, the actual growth of fruitfulness in the lives of believers. So both of them are necessary. You kind of need some level of structure, the trellises in the church, different ministries that we have. Uh, but you also need convictions about what you're doing in those structures so that you can mature and multiply and make disciples, right? So that's kind of the basic idea of the book, and these are some of the convictions. And we went through like a year process with about 
15 leaders in the church and we kind of read the book and we kind of made it our own and kind of came up with some of our own language. Um, I'm not going to go through this super in detail. I'll kind of just hit the high-level convictions and a lot of this stuff is going to be fleshed out on um, Wednesday nights over this, uh, this quarter. Uh, conviction one, why make disciples? There's a lot of reasons to make disciples that scripture talks about. Um, obviously, it is what God is doing in saving the people for himself to dwell with for eternity. Uh, we believe it's a central task given to the church. Uh, we believe there's a joy to be experienced um, in making disciples. We believe there's a reward awaiting us in heaven for those who make disciples. We also get to enjoy those who become disciples in heaven. Um, there's also the reality of eternal judgment for those who don't know Christ. So that is also a motivation for us to make disciples and tell people about Jesus. Um, so the only thing I'll point out there is number eight. So we desire to be a church where each member considers it a joy, a privilege, as well as a responsibility to help others learn Christ based on the reasons given in Scripture above. So there's probably more reasons, but those were the ones that we came up with. So conviction two, what is a disciple? Um... Disciples are forgiven sinners who are learning Christ together in repentance and faith, and out of that, lovingly helping others learn Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, there's a lot in there, but disciples are, foundationally, we are forgiven sinners. That's our basic identity. Um, uh, but as forgiven sinners, we are learning Christ together. We don't just kind of remain in that state where we uh, meet Christ, but we learn Christ throughout our lives, and we do that in repentance and faith. Um, and as and that's that's the journey of the Christian life. But we wanted to emphasize the idea that a true disciple helps other people become disciples of Christ as well. Um, that is a mark of a disciple. And um, I know that might seem kind of like um, burdensome, or like oh gosh, I, I don't know what. I don't know if I'm making disciples or, or anything like that. So, so we do flesh that out a little bit later. What does that look like? But um, it is a mark of a believer to tell other people about Jesus, you know. And that looks different in different seasons of life. And there's different contexts and a thousand different ways where this is made true. Um, but a disciple of Christ helps others learn Christ as well. Um, okay. Well, that's it for that one. Um, conviction three, how do God's people make disciples? Uh, we kind of summarized this, uh, how disciples are made, by this three Ps. Uh, the book has four Ps. I thought that was too many. Uh, we, can, we kind of said three Ps were necessary for discipleship to occur. It's proclaiming God's word. It's praying with dependence on the spirit and persevering in proclaiming and praying. So uh, God's people, if they do these three things together, disciples will be made. Um, th those are the key ingredients that are necessary. Um, the proclamation of God's word, praying in dependence on the spirit, and perseverance, because it takes time. It takes a lifetime um, to make disciples. Um, so uh, the, the reason for that conviction is... Um, we don't want evangel or sorry discipleship to be so broad that like you know, anything anything we do is like discipleship. It's like, dude, I'm just here, so I'm part of discipleship. You know, it's like 
No, there is an engagement that's happening with God's Word, with God's Spirit, uh, with God's people over a period of time. <clears throat> that's how disciples are matured and multiplied. Um, so that's kind of the thing we're trying to preserve through that conviction. Um, and, and discipleship, we would say, is a process, obviously, and people are on different um, parts of the spectrum in that process. And we all were, if you're a Christian, you were in a place where you didn't know Christ. And the first time that you um, heard the gospel was the first time the process of discipleship um, can, you know, had the opportunity to begin. So uh, we kind of look at Christians not in like, uh, not that there's tiers of Christian, but there are uh, there are levels of maturity that a Christian walks through from before Christ uh, to after Christ. And it's kind of in these four steps. It's um, There's a phase where you're being engaged with a Christian. You just don't know anything, so you're being engaged. Um, second, you're evangelized. You are told about Christ. Third, you're established as a Christian. And fourth, you're equipped. Um, and you're equipped not only to um, know God and grow in God, but also help others know and grow in God. Um, so we're all, um, uh, I believe, um, have been engaged and evangelized, and we're kind of in the stage where we're being established and equipped. That's kind of like the stage that we are kind of <laughs> in for the rest of our lives, and we're helping others uh, do that. Um, but the cool thing is, once you're on the established and um, equipped, you're actually helping other people engage and be evangelized as well. So you're kind of helping people that are not to the same, not in the same place you are, which is the joy of discipleship. So, who makes disciples? Who makes disciples? Um, we believe the Holy Spirit is a primary agent in causing people to come to faith in Christ. And I know uh, we're going to get to that we are a very important part of this as well, uh, not because it ultimately lands on us, but God has chosen to use us to make disciples. But we want to preserve the idea that, like, Gosh, the Holy Spirit is the one that changes hearts. He's the one that takes people from engaged to evangelized, to help them believe, to um, establish and be equipped, right? So so we want to acknowledge God's rule in that. Um, um, number six, we desire that in our church a wide variety of word ministries are used by a constantly growing proportion of the membership. Discipling someone is not for the truly committed Christian. Every disciple is involved in discipling or helping others learn Christ. Um, that's 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 so true, and and it's um, so important. Like every ad, uh, pretty much every. Oh, it's number twenty-four. Yeah, we have, there are two different versions. Okay, uh, it, it's because. The convictions, when you added the D, mm -hmm. it changed the, like, numbering, probably, of the thing. So, like, theirs goes straight through. I just don't know why it's correct on mine, though. It's correct on mine. Mine, too. I mean, I have yours. I have both versions. In front of you? Uh, not both of them. Because <laughs> what happened was, when you go past this... On theirs, uh, this doesn't start back at one. one. The other one. Oh, so it God. keeps going yeah, yeah. Like that makes sense. Down. Yeah, whatever. sorry. Bear with this. We're not going to be able to change this for this round of membership, but we'll, I'll definitely need to fix that for next round. 
I think you're still still under the headers. You're still under conviction four. It's just which we're number we're underneath. We're smart. We're smart. Okay. You are? Yeah. Okay. Smart. Good. Yeah, so the one that has at least color on the front is, I think, the one that has this pointing four and the one without okay. color. Okay. Yeah, I have the black one. Okay, cool. Um, so, so we just, uh, if you kind of think of this spectrum from engaged, evangelized, uh, established, and equipped, we're, we're just trying to help each other continually take one step to the right. That's kind of a phrase we use a lot. One step to the right is basically one step closer to Christ, mm -hmm. and we are always kind of on this journey um, towards Christ. Yet, I'm not, yes, we do stumble and fall and sin in a multitude of ways, but we're all heading towards Christ and helping each other head towards Christ uh, until that day we see Christ face to face. <clears throat> and, and with all the redeemed people of God, we will worship him forever. So we look forward to that day. Um, so going back to conviction for who makes disciples, the Holy Spirit, but he uses people to make disciples. And that's kind of the main point there, <clears throat> uh, and which is everyone. All, all, all believers are part of that. Uh, conviction five, where are disciples made? Uh, I don't like some of the language here, but let me just read it because I wrote it. Disciples are made in every facet and activity of the transformative, transformative learning communities we call churches. And through our churches, it also happens in every corner of this fallen world. Um, basically, we're trying to say a learning Christ, and that's so confusing probably. That's why I don't like it. Learning Christ happens wherever God's word and spirit are present and, are, and when God is work, at work in people over time. Um, I think what we're, we're trying to preserve in this conviction is obviously that, um, yes, God's word, the three Ps are key ingredients, but they don't have to look one particular way every time. And that's really important because discipleship doesn't only happen when um, you have a mentor and you meet with that mentor regularly. You know, that's some, some people's idea of discipleship. Um, and like, you share your life with them, you read a book with them, the Bible with them, whatever, and, um, and that is considered discipleship. I think that is one of the best forms of discipleship, absolutely. I have benefited so much from that one-on-one -on -one type setting. Um, but we don't want to preclude uh, what all discipleship entails, you know, and there is a wide variety of ways in which discipleship happens. Um, as long as those three ingredients are present, um, it doesn't have to be in a one-on-one -on -one setting. Um, Can you say that again? Yeah. Where God's word and spirit are present, something over time. You reworded something. Do you remember what you said? Uh, where God's word and spirit are present, um, that's where, I'm, I'm trying to answer okay. the question where disciples are made. Okay. Yeah, uh, that's okay. It was really good. We got it on camera, though, so. <laughs> yeah, God's word, spirit, God's people, that, that's kind of where disciples yeah. are made, so it yeah. doesn't have to be... Oh, people, that was the third. Uh, yeah, uh, with God's people. Um, uh, so it doesn't have to look a particular way. Um, I think what that does is it frees up everyone to be like, oh, I think I could be part of this. Um, because some people are very... Um, they're just wired differently, gifted differently. Some people love that one-on-one -on -one setting and that very intentional, intense study of God's Word or uh, learning from each other and sharing life together. Some people just like to be together and 
share about what God's doing in their life and asking someone to just pray for them. It could happen in a small group setting. It could happen at home when you're talking to your child about, um, you know, um, sin and in a particular situation and forgiveness, you know. Um, so all of those various moments where you're bringing God's word to bear, dependent upon his spirit, God is working to make disciples. Um, so that should free everybody out to be like, dude, I think I can do that. That just means me sharing my life with others, um, inviting others to speak into my life, and just kind of talk about God's word and dependently upon his spirit. And God is going to do the growth over time, you know? Um, so discipleship is happening uh, in this moment, not necessarily because I'm speaking, but um, God's word is being talked about, you know? God's presence is in this place. Um, uh, the, the other thing is, we, we actually believe the most important place of discipleship is what happens on Sunday mornings. We think that is kind of the locus of discipleship in our church. Um, now, the locus does not mean that's where everything happens. Uh, the locus means that is the weight of where discipleship begins. It is the foundation. This is the place where God's presence is um, present in a very weighted way when the gathered church comes together, dependent on the Spirit, um, and God is using the preaching of His Word, He's using the means of grace, He's using the sacraments, and He's using one another as we encourage each other, pray for one another, um, to um, to shape us and grow us to be more of us. So is that what the theater for disciple making means. Yeah, um, I don't like that phrase. Yeah, I don't know if I like it either. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I don't like but that. But I guess the point being is that's displaying, it's it's the actual, like, this, this is putting faith in action. It, exactly. It, it, like, we really believe Sunday morning, God, it's not, and this is, it's really hard to convey this. I'm, I'm glad you asked that. Because honestly, I don't know if people, it's common now, because if you really wanted good teaching, you could listen to a ton of better preachers than us and go to, listen to podcasts, and like there are tons of people that will be able to explain the Bible way better than what, what you got here. But we believe God has set up these local churches, and these aren't places where there's just information transfer happening. This is like, this is the place where God meets with man <laughs> in the church uh, in a very specific and powerful way. So that when we come to church, there is a supernatural event happening every Sunday when God's people gather. Hebrews 11 talks about we enter into the throne room of God and we are with the hosts of heaven and we are worshiping God together when we are actually in that sanctuary. And I know it's hard to remember that. Um, or even realize that, but that is the spiritual reality of what happens when we gather together on Sunday morning. And it is that reality that fundamentally shapes God's people together. And it's not just the preaching of the word, although that is part of it. The preaching of the word is one aspect in which God's word is being proclaimed. There are a, hopefully a hundreds of ways in which little conversations are happening before or after, um, where, you know, where there's a prayer after the service. Um, where God is using all these things to shape his people over time. Um, 
all of this is very, it's not like you're going to see any difference between like two Sundays. Like, oh, did I grow from last Sunday to this Sunday? Um, but the means God has used is over time, that's the perseverance piece, piece of it. God, this is kind of the primary way God has used to, to strengthen his people, to encourage them, to um, cause them to grow in Christ. Now, when I say central, it does not mean everything. Uh, because there are limitations to Sunday morning, significant limitations, and that's why the New Testament doesn't have this idea of going to a place one day a week and then like you just kind of disappear from each other's lives the rest of the week. Like that doesn't make sense either, right? Um, so even though Sunday is foundational, uh, it trickles down. The effects of that ought to be evident in the rest of the week in our lives together uh, as a church, and that is how. Um, that idea of discipleship continues throughout the week. So, uh, yes, throughout the week we do have Bible studies. We have people meeting up for coffee. We have just moms getting together at a park. We have um, small groups. We have um, just tons of things happening, and all of those things flush out and flow down from uh, the life that God breathes into the church on Sunday. At least, and hopefully we're not kind of a hindrance to that. Um, as pastors, but that's our desire. It's like God, God would use Sunday mornings to strengthen and encourage and equip people on Sundays so that the rest of the week um, that can flow out into disciple that sh discipleship that should be happening in a hundred different ways. Um, yeah. Sorry. Um, gotcha. gotcha. We're ready for you. Are you ready? Do you even think of a question? I was why. I, I thought it was really beautiful, and I mean, honestly, like hearing you talk, I, you know, I think it's easy to think of Sunday, like, I think a false narrative of church that our culture has had is that, like, Sunday is the only place that I get filled and not having that direct access, but like, as you're sharing it, just thinking about the picture, it's, it's a central place, and honestly, it's probably more weighty because there's also more responsibility to it and coming together, but it's like, the imparting of gathering together and that like anointed piece of it like strengthens and it's like we have it throughout the week and each of us have direct access yeah. but then coming together it's like impactful and that's, that's really really I'm glad you mentioned that because okay. I, I do think there's different ways you can fall off and I think where our culture is kind of evangelicalism has kind of fallen off is like especially in the western world it's such a individualized approach to our spirituality that Sundays almost feels optional and it is kind of, we come in with it this is all of us are affected by it we are yeah. drinking this water okay, um, we all have some level of consumer mentality like how is Sunday going to meet my needs um, yep. and, it, it, and and it does meet our needs, I'm not trying to say that, but like in a large part if you kind of take a broad brush over American evangelicalism, it is very much like you pick the place that specifically like meets your needs, and the second it doesn't meet your needs, like okay. you just kind of kind of move somewhere else. Um, yeah, it's definitely a culture, a cultural, like, yeah. or you know, it's 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 a sickness that is not holy. Which I think we have that, and then the other really dangerous one we have is that you can only get it through this specific channel yeah, yeah, yeah. instead of we have. Like the curtains torn, we have direct access. Yeah. And it's you're joining in to have specific like life together with this. Yeah, that, that's totally good. I, I think, and I think that was probably 
I think different parts of the country, probably different uh, ways to fall off the wagon, but like, maybe this is a massive stereotype, but potentially in the South, there might be this mentality like, as long as I go to church, I'm like, fine, like I don't need to do anything else. Um, you know, that, that can become a, a thinking that like, um, God's gonna be pleased with me if I just go to church, you know? Um, but it's like, no, that's not right either. There's nothing like, um, there's nothing magical that we're giving you that will just kind of, it's not like indulgences we're passing out on Sundays that kind of make you okay for the rest of this week. You know, we're, we're encouraging you. But yeah, we do have that direct access to God as well. So it, it's kind of a both end. We are individual um, believers, but God has brought us into a community. And both of those things kind of work together if we kind of see Sundays as like, hey, this is a place God meets all of us together. And then kind of in smaller ways, in our families, in our friendships, uh, throughout the week. Uh, all right, more on that. Man, am I ahead of schedule? I am. I don't want to slow down now. Yeah, get to it, and then we can. Oh no, go never back, mind. But. Oh no, I totally forgot. I only done the five pages, and I have eight more. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Fine. Okay. Um, so now I remember where I'm going. Thank you, Christine. Uh, so conviction. So with those things in place about how we think about discipleship. Let's go a step up and think about the ministries that we have in place. This would be like the trellises in our church or the structures in our church. Um, dang, I already talked a decent about corporate worship, but um, kind of our main structures in the church, and I, there's a lot more, I need to update this manual, but it's our corporate worship gathering on Sundays. On Wednesdays is our midweek gathering, and we're, we're telling you this so you can kind of get a flavor for why do we have these ministries that we do. Um, community groups, so our community groups and midweek gatherings kind of function together. We have community groups um, in the summer and during the school year we have midweek gathering. Um, if you've come to midweek gathering we have a meal and classes for all ages, uh, but in the summer it kind of becomes a little more intimate. We meet in the home, we meet in homes and fellowship, mostly fellowship and pray for each other is kind of what we do there. Uh, and then we have a few other ministries. So let, let me talk about um, high-level convictions about our corporate worship gathering. Um, our corporate worship gathering is, a is central to our task of making disciples. I'm not going to repeat what I said, because I literally talked about that for like the last little bit, but, but that we do believe it's central. Um, um, okay, I will talk about that, because the verse is in here, and I don't want to miss out. So number two says, um, author of Hebrews, he's talking about the church being gathered together. He's saying, this is what's happening when you gather together. You have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to the innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So we're coming through the blood of Christ before the throne room of God, before innumerable angels, and we are worshiping God and His Son, Jesus Christ, together. And that's happening uh, every Sunday, not just here, but in churches throughout the world, which is awesome. Uh, that's why we call our Sunday celebration gathering, actually, because we that picture of that celebration um, of who God is and what He has done for us is central to what we're doing on Sundays. 
Um, number two, we emphasize, conviction two, emphasize the expository preaching of God's word. Um, so you've probably picked up on this, expository preaching, basically we're, we kind of go through books of the Bible here in our church, generally speaking. Uh, so we'll kind of pick a book of the Bible, we'll just kind of go break it up into chunks and kind of go through it over a little bit, a uh, longer period of time. Um, we're not opposed to kind of the, um, there are different ways to preach God's word. This is not like, um, like as far as going through an entire book of the Bible, it's not like the only way to preach God's word. Um, but we think when we do that, um, it is less likely for us to kind of start inserting our views and hobby horses, uh, you know, kind of along the way. We kind of, uh, our conviction is the message of the text should be the message of the sermon. You know, like we, we and when you kind of go through the book of the Bible, yeah, there's kind of some really exciting parts and some not so exciting parts, but it kind of grounds us to like, hey, what did God want these people to know then? And how is God speaking to us through this passage? Um, we do topical messages. We're not opposed to that. Last year we did like a topical series on our statement of faith for about four months. It was rough. Uh, and, um, it's rough because I have a hard time preaching too because I'm so tempted I'm like well I kind of like talking about these things so that's what I'm going to talk about in the sermon you know uh, nothing wrong with that but it just requires so much more discipline to be like okay I cannot take these verses out of context when I'm talking about this, this topic um, but it's so hard to do when you're doing a topical message but when you're in the book of the Bible which we're doing we're in the book of Genesis now we, we did Proverbs over the summer it's less likely to, for that to happen. And we, we really want to be able to preach the whole counsel of God. We, our goal is hopefully over a period of decades that we would be able to go through the entire Bible. And I know not everyone's going to get that in the whole time that they're here, but at least um, that's our goal. Um, so, uh, anything else on expository preaching? Can you explain expository real quick? Um, so to exposit, really, it means to make clear the meaning of the passage. That's really what we're trying to do. Uh, and we think the best way to do that is to understand the text in its context. Uh, not just kind of the words around it, but in its context in the book that it sits in, and then ultimately how it fits in the story of the Bible. Uh, so expository preaching helps us do that in kind of a disciplined way so that we're not... Um, but, but I think when we... That we're also training people to read the Bible this way as well. It's like, hey, you kind of have to read this in this particular context, and then how it fits in the context of this book, and then how does it fit in the context of the entire Bible. Um, and we always get to, pretty much every week we get to, how this fits into the context of the entire Bible. And how everything fits into the context is ultimately everything points to Christ. Everything is fulfilled in Christ. And I'm preaching this morning, and I'm so excited about it, even though like I didn't get much sleep last night. It's like all in my head, but not on the paper. It's kind of like I don't know how to say this, but like it's in here. Um, but it's a promise given to Abraham that we're going to talk about in Genesis and how that promise is ultimately fulfilled in Christ, and you know we're recipients of that. Um, so yeah, we'll talk about Abraham. We'll talk about how that fits into the context in Genesis, so that we really understand what was God doing then. Because we kind of have to get into their shoes to understand what was going on, what they were feeling and experiencing, because there's similarities, and we'll kind of pick those up along the way, and then we'll see. Um, how it's
Yes. Okay. Three. Uh, we regularly celebrate the sacraments together. Um, so we believe that our church, I think, I don't know if we talked about this yet. No, we didn't. Um, that Jesus has given two sacraments or ordinances that are called. <laughs> I thought I'd sneak in quietly. <laughs> <laughs> well, hello. Something like that you're here. Um, so, so we believe that there's two sacraments that Jesus has commanded the church to observe. Sacraments, uh, ordinances, um, baptism, and the Lord's Supper. And those are amazing uh, things for us to celebrate in the life of the church. Um, they're not just they're not just routine things we do. We, we, we truly believe these are ways in which God uh, makes much of himself, of ways in which he strengthens our faith and encourages us as a congregation um, uh, as we participate in these sacraments. So uh, baptism, uh, man, this has been fun. We've already had a baptism. We're going to have another one here in a couple of weeks. Um, um, it's for all who have repented of their sin, trusted in Christ. Jesus commands them to be baptized. So um, we walk that out. Baptism is not something that um, decisively saved us, saves us, but it is something saved people do um, in obedience to Jesus. Go ahead. I have a question. Uh, yeah. for, if people were baptized as infants, um, yeah. what does sovereign grace do for those people? Yeah, that's a great question. Is that your story? or? Uh, well, I was confirmed to you, so yes, kind of. It is, it is. Um, but so you were I, baptized uh, and then, then confirmed later? Confirmed in what church? The Catholic Church. Okay. Yeah. Um, Sorry, that's me. I, is that ESPN? Yes. Wow. <laughs> is that your sports center thing? You know? <laughs> it wasn't the actual noise. It was a, I know that sound. Yeah, you know that That's a really good question. So we'd probably want, want to have some conversations there. I think... Um, I think the big thing in those situations, we would want to understand um, what is the significance of that event mm -hmm. to you um, and try to go from there. So if you guys, uh, Kale just posted a couple things on baptism on Church Center like, a couple days ago. It talks about that very thing. It's just like a two-page paper that kind of talks about how we think through as pastors. Um, um, not only baptism, but the Lord's Supper. And they're, they're kind of related, and I can't flesh all of that out here, but we believe those who have uh, made a profession of faith, that they're the ones that should be baptized. Um, while we respect people in other traditions who may baptize their children, that the difference with the Catholic Church, the, um, and not even difference, the strongest agreement we would have with them is that um, baptism saves you. Like, there is a sense in which Baptism wipes away your sin, your original sin specifically, and brings you into um, um, the church. And that's a doctrine called baptismal regeneration, that in that moment that God um, is actually um, changing that, um, that child, infusing grace into that child, and brings him into, his, um, into the church. Now, there are other traditions and Protestantism that do baptize infants um, that do not believe that. So our Presbyterian brothers, whom we love and respect, they would not say that that's what's happening when they're baptizing infants. They would say that, hey, this is a promise that God has given not only to his believing um, 
church, but also to their children. And the promise is that one day, um, if they put their faith and trust in Christ, they too can be saved. So that's kind of how they uh, would word it. Um, so we would disagree with that as well, but we don't think that's like um, um, problematic in the sense of <laughs> giving false assurance that you're, you're saved because you're baptized, right? Um, so th there's problems with that. So if you have not been baptized as a believer, um, we would just want to walk through with you, like, uh, what, what, what was the nature of infant baptism? When did you get saved? How do you think about how we do baptism at our church? I think as we kind of walk through that, we'll um, kind of figure out what, what the next steps are. But um, I would just say kind of read that uh, paper that, um, do you know how to get to our resources on Church Center? Um, looking at it. So if you go to Church Center, mm -hmm. I, I should do this too because I haven't done this in a while. Yeah, I don't know if I should just go through the group. No, it's the main group. So pretty much any kind of big announcements, it goes to the membership and regular attenders. So if you click that. Oh, resources. It, yeah, if you click resources underneath that, in the main group. Uh, oh, there's so much crap in here. <laughs> and, uh, huh. Resources is at the second bar at the top. Uh, I have events, resources, and members. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, here's what I did. That so, so there's a little sort button next to it that mm -hmm. says you can, you know, sort it by last updated. There we go. And it that, has that makes life easier. Yeah. Do, 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 do. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Magical budget. Yeah. No, if anything, this is. We should delete all those The things to learn. That was so helpful. This app is not as advanced as you would think. I, I things like that. I wish there was a better way to. to yeah, folders like would be a, awesome. Uh, online archive, so you can go back and talk at the time. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Because you have nothing else in your plate that you're. <laughs> <laughs> that's. Honestly, these those are things that like make me really excited to do. Anyway, so the first two things on there, it's called Children and Sacraments and then Meaning and Practice of Baptism. They're both really short things to kind of walk through. Okay, uh, the Lord's Supper, we do it every week. We really enjoy the privilege of it because we, we and Steve talks about this, where we're not just remembering what Christ has done. It helps us be gospel-centered, but we also believe that God's presence um, we do commune with the real living Christ as we take communion together as a church. Like there is an active participation in communion with God that is happening when the church gathers together and in obedience to Christ participates in the Lord's Supper. So um, could we do it in a way that's ritualistic and uh, I don't want to say ritualistic, but like rote? Yeah, but so can singing songs be rote and so can listening to God's word be rote. Hey, we have the tendency to do that with just about everything. But when God prescribes something particular, he's saying, hey, you can meet me in this, and I can remind you of some amazing promises I have for you in this. And, um, and that's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper in a short summary statement. Is Communion Sunday, is that like every Sunday normal in a Sovereign Grace Church? No, it no, it's not. So, so some of these things are not normal in Sovereign Grace Churches. So these are convictions that we hold as elders in the church. Um, I'm so glad. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Every week, please. <laughs> yeah. I think it's important. Thank you. Yeah, I would totally 
give Steve all the credit for that. Steve, like, I wasn't on that pay. I kind of came from a church we did once a month. I didn't know why. I just kind of like, okay. Uh, but just thinking about, like, what the meaning of that is and then kind of landing every sermon onto the Lord's Supper also yeah. gives us a way to be like, man, I just need hope. I need refreshment. And sometimes we're in texts that are hard, you know, and it's like, uh, I, I can't, like, soften this, uh, what this text is saying, but I know what the ultimate hope and promise is, and I have to give people that before they leave here today. And the Lord's Supper um, enables us to do that as well. Um, so, that's that. Now, conviction four, uh, we value praying together. Um, prayer is also um, throughout many aspects of our church, and, and we do believe it is at the heart of our existence. Uh, we as elders, uh, hopefully we're praying in our personal lives. Obviously, we're not perfect or um, as consistent as we should be, but we get together every Tuesday morning uh, for a half hour, and we pray through the members' directory. And we just pray through like five people at a time, and over a couple of months, we hope is to pray for the whole congregation. Um, because we just feel our helplessness in helping people. We're just like, man, Lord, if you don't come and intervene in this situation, like we just, we don't know. Like we have some things we can say uh, from your word, but like you have to reveal yourself in these situations. So we have elders prayer. We just started doing our corporate uh, prayer nights, which is the first Wednesday midweek gathering of every month. Um, and that's another opportunity for us to pray together. Um, I wasn't able to go to this last one because I was in nursery, but um, I think that's going to be another consistent thing in our uh, rhythms to, to be able to pray together. But we have prayer before service, which opportunities for people to get prayer even before the service, and we have prayer prayer ministry team in there after the service. Uh, it's still being flushed out. We just kind of have a couple people in there right now, but um, we just see the value in that of God actually... Um, doing the things that we want to happen in this church, you know, uh, for fruitfulness to happen, for people to be healed, for um, chains to be broken, you know, all these things. We can share truth, but apart from God's spirit working, um, you know, uh, through our prayers, like, you know, we, so, so we always want to be in this place of helplessness and weakness where we feel like, man, unless God comes through, like, nothing's going to happen, no one's going to change. Now, we're not going to change. Um, we're not going to grow and see Christ more clearly. So, um, so that's why prayer is important. And I love that sometimes on Sunday mornings. Obviously, we we do do a, you know, sometimes our pastoral prayer can be a little long. Um, mine's going to be a little short today because I'm trying to do the rest of the service. You're on top of all. Yeah, <laughs> but we just think that prayer time is really important for the church to engage and. Uh, it's not like the pastor is being some priest before God, but um, there's some level of uh, modeling and teaching prayer happening there. But it's like, hey, this is an important part of the service. And the things we're praying for, we just really need God to come through. So pray with us. Um, and then there's sometimes we break up into small groups and pray for different issues or topics or for healing like we did. And, uh, all those things are not like extraneous things we do. They are very important parts of our life together. Uh, conviction five, we experience, sorry, we emphasize experiencing the work of the Holy Spirit together as we gather. So we, 
again, this kind of goes with the prayer aspect, but, you know, we, we, we believe Sunday mornings isn't about transferring information, you know. I would feel just, like, so much more of a burden, like, oh, my gosh, like, this, this just is, like, if I'm not going to do everything right and say everything exactly right and, like, you know, like, this whole thing's going to fall apart. No, it's like, we know God is present here, and he's going to use weak people who say weak things, true things, but um, sometimes imprecisely, sometimes um, emphasizing the wrong things, um, but he's going to use those things to... Um, draw us to Christ, and that is something we want to um, pursue together intentionally, that we want to pursue the work of the Holy Spirit here. Um, we pursue the gifts of the Spirit, and that's what our Sunday morning prayer, the kind of the time there is really set aside to pursue the Holy Spirit to, um, to give direction for specific aspects of the service, and potentially, and so the preaching pastor is usually there on Sunday mornings. Um, unless they're teaching a membership class. Um, but, um, so we do that. But the Spirit is involved in every aspect of Sunday morning. I'll just highlight this. Uh, he helps us when we gather together. He helps us glorify Christ when we gather together. He helps us understand and respond to God's Word uh, as it's preached. He helps us strengthen the church for the common good through using our variety of gifts uh, for the church. Um, so pursuing the work of the Holy Spirit, we would define as, it is a posture. It is a heart posture of dependence on God, uh, knowing that He has given us His Spirit to empower us and to um, encourage us. Uh, number six, thing that is not, um, some of these are not true of every Sour Grace Church, but um, it is true of things that we study as elders together and we kind of develop these convictions. These convictions yeah. So, number F, I don't know if it's F, but it's conviction six. Um, is something that is not common, I would say, in Southern Grace churches. But we do value including our children in our corporate worship gathering. Um, just because this is a little unique, let me just kind of read a couple things. Um, we desire to have our children involved in our celebration gathering because we believe that the ordinary means of grace, preaching, prayer, worship, and sacraments that shape uh, our celebration gathering are effective for everyone, including children. So why wouldn't you want your kids to be in the presence of God? For God is present with his people uh, to shape and mold them and draw them to Christ, just like Hebrews 11 talks about, right? Um, and I have a question about yeah. that. Um, when you're talking about including them in these things, you don't mean that the sacraments, they should participate yeah, unless they profess faith and been baptized, right? Yeah, so uh, that's a good question. So I think it's all of that is witnessing for okay. kids at that. That's what I thought you meant. Exposure. Exposure, right? yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so to jump ahead to part two, part E, it says, when the children see the sacraments of communion and baptism, it gives them okay. a wonderful opportunity to ask parents more questions and for, um, <laughs> there it was. for the parents to share the gospel with them. No, no legitimate question there. Uh, and those are questions people have, and that paper talks about it. I was about to say. Yeah, about when can kids <laughs> take uh, communion? And... Uh, if you've noticed, uh, yeah, and, and kids have been taking communion <laughs> at our church, and that's something that we've needed some clarity on. Um, so that paper kind of uh, talks about that. And if you have any questions, we can, we can certainly talk about it. Um, anyway, we want to place our kids in the way of these. I think our general idea, I don't know how to summarize this whole thing, there is no idea in Scripture where you take the kids out of the sanctuary into a different <coughs> church, into a different place where they can be given, like, you know, True and good things, but um, 
but that idea of if you know what's happening in the sanctuary on Sunday morning, um, uh, you would want your kids to be there. Now, there's tons of challenges to that. I get, like, um, I have challenges to that with, <laughs> like, I smile, like, yep. <laughs> um, I, I have one child, and that's hard um, for us. When, when Lily was, you know, in the sanctuary, now she's in nursery. Um, but people have several kids, and not all kids are, you know, have the same attention spans and can just sit and someone drone on for like 30 minutes or 15 minutes, whatever. You know, like, oh, we get it. Like, all those things are challenging. And we try, we want to try to be mindful of those things. Um, but ultimately, we believe, you know, when Jesus, in other churches that I've seen where children are taken out of the sanctuary and do not re enter until they're 12 or 13 years old, they are shocked to see how boring church is. And they're like, I had so much fun there for the last seven years. Now this is what this is what it means to follow the rest of my life. This is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Um, and in those youth years, it's kind of like, man, I've just seen a lot of people just kind of like, dude, I don't like church. You know, I kind of want to go back to, you know, hang out with my friends and do this and do this other thing. Um, I'm not saying churches that do take their children out of service, which a lot of Sovereign Grace churches do, and a lot of churches that we respect do, and there's ways to make that time profitable. I get it. Like, that's not our intention to say that. But we, we do see a lot of benefits uh, in exposing our kids to what's happening on Sunday mornings, and we do see the blessings available to them that over time, God would use these things to draw them to Christ. Uh, and then you do a lot of stuff on Wednesday nights. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, so that's very specific so, age really. Yeah, so we do think age really, yeah. Are we saying, like, everything that I'm going to say this morning is going to make sense to, like, um, you know, five-year-old? Probably not. Um, but uh, I do have them in mind when I'm kind of writing this, but I also have in mind <laughs> a lot of other people. Five-year-old. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we do have that kids moment where we're trying to, um, today's, I think today's is a good one. I'm kind of excited about today's. Uh, but it really summarized the entire sermon in like a couple of sentences for the kids and it allows parents to have conversations with kids afterwards. So we're trying to include them in the sanctuary, in the, in the worship service in a very specific way. Uh, Only other thing I want to say is this idea of taking kids out of the service is a very recent phenomenon in church history. It's maybe like 50, 60 years old. And it came with the idea of just even schooling in general and how schooling and education takes place. Um, parents just send their kids to this thing called the school in the community. And that's where they're hopefully just taken care of so that parents can do what parents do. Um, so, like, this mindset kind of crept into the church where it's like, well, parents really need to be fed and listen. And then, so, like, you've got these distractions out of my way. So, I, like, you know. And I get it. That thinking is hard. It is still something I struggle with. I'm like, um, so what we offer in our church is um, we're not super idealistic about this. We're not, like, you know. Um, so, so we offer nursery for ages one through, one through four. Um, on Sundays and Wednesday nights, just because we think that is helpful um, to some parents. It's not something anyone's required to participate in, but it is available um, to them. But once they get to like five, six, like those are ages in which 
they should be able to ask a lot more questions and where exposure becomes so important uh, for them to see and think through and uh, ask questions and help have the same experience as their parents do on a, on a Sunday morning. But we also have a care and console room because we get it. We're like, we get it. Sundays can be rough and even with older kids, so that care and console room is available as well. Anyway, we can talk more about that. Um, do you guys have a uh, yeah. book, like the Parenting in the Pew? Do you have that to borrow? Yeah. What's it called? Parenting it in the Pew. Oh. Um, yeah. So if you look at the additional resources, uh, there's a really, if you honestly just Google that, you'll find that article, but um, there's a book by him. That, that book has kind of shaped our, it's a really tiny book. It's like 60 small booklet things. I may actually have some here. Um, let me just walk to the library here and just see if it, I have that Parenting in the Pew and this one, and I can, I can, I can hand it to you. Um, yeah. Questions, someone? I mean, I could email it too, but like, I know y'all gave away a book on prayer, like a while back, a yeah. scripture, which uh -huh. I get. Is there a resource you'd recommend for learning better intercessory prayer? If that makes any sense. No, that makes a ton of sense. Um, Ask Kyle when he gets there. Okay. There's this book that he could sell you. He loves so much. I would. <laughs> I, 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 nothing comes to mind for me, so I really want to hear what Kyle has to say. Um, Changed his life. Like, okay. Wow, I, 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 I should that's know really this. what you want from a I should know this. I should know what it is, because I, I saw a change in Kyle, too, after this book about prayer. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I'm exposed to my kids who go to very prophetic, flag-worship, spirit-filled churches. This is a spirit-filled church, too, but it's it has more structure. Yeah. And so the prayer I witnessed there... I don't yep. know how to do. Charismatic. I just don't know how, and I, I, I know there's an element here that I've been tainted by my past, and I'm not sure where to go except. And I, I know I can pray scripture. That's safe. Yeah. But like, how do I expand that safely? Yeah. So. No, that's a really good question. Um, let me think about it and and see. I know Steve would certainly have some resources. Um, and then, so I could even email. Yeah. The pastors. Yeah, yeah, probably. Like, and I'll remember to do that. The the other thought I had with the kids stuff is like you know you were talking about the how we're investing kids, but I think having kids in church like you have no idea the power of what your kids are expressing and sharing to the hearts of us as adults mm. and, and bringing into it yeah. what they're able to see and they're able to see things in a whole clear way that we've been tainted by our world so it's like I think it's like so powerful even with all the like tackling stuff so yeah Kyle apparently there's this book about okay. better intercessory prayer that changed your life it's that prayer book that you loved We've been talking. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make me look stupid. <laughs> that, it just, the title's like prayer. We were talking uh, about intercessory prayer. Well, it wasn't about intercessory prayer. It's, it's just called Prayer by Richard Foster. Okay. Well, it's, I said that you loved it. I did. <laughs> There's some bones to spit out in that book, but it's... She was asking, and I was like, this... It is a good prayer. He talks about different types of prayer. He's not saying there's biblical... He's just like, you know... It's just a very helpful book on helping you just persevere in prayer, thinking about prayer in different ways. 
that are modeled in the scriptures, but
really you'd be with Steve as he visits his mother and yeah. um, pray that that time would be as difficult as it is, it would be um, fruitful in, in whatever way. And also with Kale and um, Jack as they enjoy some time off. Bless them, Lord. Pray all these things in Jesus' name.